Welcome to the Future Is podcast, where we explore the future of your life and business. I'm your host, Joe Tobis. I'm a future shaper and the head of global marketing. And today we're going to talk about a technology of the future that is about to be a reality. And that is the quantum computer, which Honeywell earlier this year said it was imminently going to launch into the market. And when it does, it is going to be the most powerful quantum computer yet. It will have a quantum volume of 64, which is twice that of the next alternative in the industry. And here to explain what I just said and talk about quantum computing and what it will mean is Tony Utley, who's the president of Honeywell Quantum Solutions. So, Tony, welcome. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. So, um, first of all, I'm... I'm I'm guessing, um, having read a little bit about this, a quantum computer doesn't look anything like a regular computer. Um, let's start there. What physically, what are we, what are we even talking about when we talk about a quantum computer? So you are absolutely correct. And, and that is, that's actually one of the biggest challenges that we have when we talk to potential customers is that you just Mm -hmm. help, but take the classical computer imagery that exists today, and then try to extend that to say, okay, well, that's what a quantum computer might look like. Uh, The reality is that we, to some extent, went back in time. So imagine Mm -hmm. what you think of computers of 60 years ago looking like where they take up a full room and they have wires running everywhere. That's we're back there. Those, those, those old IBM uh, file footages, the, 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 those kinds of things. Well, it, it really comes down to the kinds of, and I, I know this is, is challenging even when I say it like this, but subsystems that uh-huh. are required to make a quantum computer. Mm. So I, I might use a little bit of imagery to try to, to try to make that happen. So to make our quantum computer work requires an ultra high vacuum chamber. Uh, okay. that is, it's about the size of a basketball. Uh, it has five times less particles in it than outer space. Uh, so that's, that's how you get to that ultra high vacuum. Mm-hmm. Uh, also cryogenically cool it. So we have liquid helium that's being pumped through it. That allows you to get down to temperatures of roughly four to 10 Kelvin. And if, if people speak Kelvin, which I know they don't, <laughs> Within four to ten degrees of absolute zero. Oh man, it is it is uh, quite cold. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now imagine that basketball, right? That has um, that we've pumped out all of that, all the different particles in there. We've cryogenically cooled, and with that that basketball size thing, we have little portholes, and through the portholes, we are shooting lasers at individual atoms, like literally individual atoms. And, and what I've done as kind of a, what does that mean? If you, if you were to take your hands and put them in front of you and just cup them, and then you put those two cups together and make a little sphere out of your hands, within your hands are roughly a trillion trillion atoms. That, that is what exists right now in the space of your hands. 
And so in our case, we've taken this thing the size of a basketball, pumped everything out of it except the individual atoms that we care about, and then we're hitting them with lasers. Now you say, okay, well, that's what it takes, right? Something the size of a basketball. Um, to make that basketball work, we have equipment that takes up to something the size of a lab space to be able to, to really make sure it has all of the control systems, mm -hmm. the, lasers, the optics, um, the magnetic field uh, stabilizer, all of those things have to go in uh, to, to be able to make our version of, of a quantum computer work. Assuming nobody else who's listening to this is planning to make a quantum computer, the real question is, what do you do with it? What computers can do that are different from classical computers is process in the middle of a computation a lot of, let's call it variables at the same time, a lot of potential okay. outcomes. Mm -hmm. So, and, and the way that happens is a couple of very special things about quantum physics. But, and, and the special things are, if you, if you do kind of think about what a, what a classical computer does, you have something called a bit and that mm -hmm. bit is either a zero or a one. It is, it is in the zero state or it's in the one state. A quantum bit or a qubit can be in both a one state and a zero state at the exact same time. It's called superposition. And it's one of the, the spookiest parts of quantum physics. Uh, but, but what that does is that means that when you have these qubits interacting with each other in a computation, that you get a, what I call a, a quantum superpower. And that is, it's called two to the N and you get an exponential expansion in the, the number of values that can all be considered at the same time. So okay. I will try to try to explain what that means. Um, let's say you have a single qubit. So that single qubit can be both a one and a zero at the same time. So with one qubit, you have two values. When you have 10 qubits, all 10 of those qubits could be a one and a zero at the same time. So that's two to the N, two to the 10th. That mm -hmm. means of over a thousand different values that are all being considered at the same time. When you get to 50 qubits, that is 1.1 quadrillion values that are all being considered at the exact same time during the computation. So Got what it. does that mean practically? It means that computations that could never be done on a classical computer. Think about the high, highest performance supercomputer that exists on the planet. It would take at the age of the universe to try to do the same computations that you would be able to eventually do on a quantum computer. So give me one example of, of a computation that a traditional, even a traditional supercomputer couldn't do that, that a quantum computer could. The one that is probably most often used, but is probably least often going to be applied is something that's called a traveling salesman problem or traveling salesperson problem. Okay. And is you have a number of different cities in which you have to go to be able to, to meet your different customers. And you have to plan out what is the optimized route to be able to go from 
from city to city, uh, taking into account a lot of different variables um, for optimizing your time. And so when you only have two cities, it's, it's simple, right? You just go between the two. When you add a third city that adds multiple dimensions, the fourth city does, the fifth city does, and that's called an exponentially increasing problem set. Mm -hmm. The problem with exponentially increasing problems and classical computers is that you have to solve them in um, traditionally in kind of a sequential stepwise function. Mm -hmm. And the more, the, in this case, the more cities you put in there, the harder it is to find that optimal solution and the longer it would take a classical computer to do it. A quantum computer given the, the scale of one that could handle as many cities as you're talking about, can actually look at every route at the exact same time. And then if you've designed your algorithm correctly, you only get the correct answer out as a result. Wow. So it will automatically default to the most optimal solution. And you say, okay, well, where else could that be applied? The same yeah. logic that would apply to something like a, a traveling salesperson problem applies to a number of different optimization problems. So think about our aerospace business. Mm -hmm. uh, you have planes in the air that are all supposed to be going from point A to point B, and those could be lots of airports around the country, or around the world. If you have a major disruption happen, then what the, the computation required to try to figure out how to adjust all of those planes in flight at the same time mm -hmm. become overwhelming, which is, which is why you have so much disruption happen. In a future state, you could have a quantum computer look at that and say, here's the, the optimal solution for you. Here's what you go do given the disruption and where you should route all of these planes. We chose to partner with JP Morgan uh, that was part of the announcement Honeywell made at the beginning of the year. Be interesting to get your perspective. What could quantum computing do for them? Uh, two places that uh, both fall into the roughly the category of optimization. Um, one is how they look at um, their trading portfolios. And again, there's a lot of variables and a lot of different changes to those variables that are happening simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Once again, it becomes an exponentially scaling problem. And so what you can do is, especially in, in these early stages of quantum computing, is shrink down the problem to the size that can be done given the quantum volume that you have today, knowing that as you scale up that quantum volume, you can scale the kind of problem that goes with it. So they're looking at trying to figure out what kinds of trading strategies they would have using artificial intelligence for their, um, their own internal applications. Okay. There's another area that they are very concerned about, and that is fraud detection. Uh, early identification mm -hmm. of fraud detection, which is really kind of the, um, it's the almost the opposite of finding an optimum solution. It is finding something that doesn't belong. Right. What is what is somebody mm -hmm. course of of life look like and how do you tell that something that just happened as a um, as a purchase was not part of that person's normal routine? 
And being able to use a quantum computer to detect that kind of anomaly, again, is just the reverse of trying to do an optimization. There's got to be ways that uh, a quantum computer can, can, can support the pharmaceutical industry and, and healthcare uh, needs in general. Is that, is that something that you see um, uh, it being used for? Absolutely. And, and the, the most important thing is getting the time frame right. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the future of quantum computing holds that promise, which is why it's so important, not just to Honeywell, but to humanity to try to look at technologies like quantum computing to help solve some of these intractable type problems. Mm-hmm. Trying to understand how a molecule interacts with biologically with a human is a very complex problem. And, and while there's been tremendous achievements done in the pharmaceutical industry over time, it still is a um, kind of experiment and, and get results type of environment. You, you do simulations, you try to get close, and then you have to go and, and figure out if that was close enough. And the promise of quantum computing ultimately is that instead of getting close, you get exact. Uh, You're able to look at all of those different um, interactions at exactly the same time to to get to a optimal solution, to get to that preferred solution. Um, We're not there yet. The, The world is not there yet from a quantum computing standpoint but we are certainly doing everything in our power to try to increase our, our capabilities as quickly as we can to ultimately bring that to bear. Let's go back in time. How long does it take to build what it's a simple basketball that's uh, you know, uh, <laughs> almost absolute zero, you know, that, that couldn't, that couldn't take more than a couple of weeks, right? Exactly. Yeah. We <laughs> kind of brainstormed this earlier this year. Uh, no. <laughs> been looking at at quantum computing within Honeywell for uh, almost 10 years now. And wow. Uh, and it came because we we do such amazing things across this company. Uh, the the pieces these these technology subsystems that we use are from all of our businesses around Honeywell, from our aerospace business in terms of the kinds of ultra high vacuum uh, cryogenics, precision control, from our PMT business, again, around cryogenics, around um, ultra system integrations, um, from things that like our HBT business, where uh, we have looked at multiple um, edge uh, type devices to be able to bring in and do real-time uh, control of, of those those peripheral type devices, all of that was able to be brought together to build our first commercial quantum computer. And it's, and it's taken that time, not just to, not just to develop the technologies to integrate, but because we chose to do some really hard things first. We took on something that we call technical debt, which is we wanted to get to a point where not only could we release the world's most powerful quantum computer, but we could be in a position where we would be able to scale that very quickly. And so a lot of the really hard work had to be done. And, uh, and it was over these last, certainly these last three to four years to get us to this point. 
the way that you describe it, it almost seems like we're the perfect company to to launch a, a quantum computer. And I think very few would have been in a position like us to to take on the challenge. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. We are we are um, not only positioned well to be the leader in quantum computing, but our heritage and our expertise and our technical foundations allow us to do things that other people who are in this space can't. If there's one thing that we look across Honeywell and say we are experts in, it is complex system integrations combined with decision control. And those two things are fundamental to being able to not just build a quantum computer, but really put it in a position to scale. So everybody wants to be the biggest and the boldest, and in this case, the most powerful. How do you determine whether your quantum computer will be the most powerful? Absolutely. And and certainly there's always going to be challenges to it, uh, which is why we took a benchmark that we didn't come up with. It was a benchmark that IBM actually came up with in terms of looking at what the capability of any quantum computer um, can do. And it was, it was something called quantum volume, which is, you know, to some extent as complex as quantum computing is, but what it does is it looks at more than just how many physical qubits do you have? Uh, which which had been used as a proxy before, and it's just not right. Uh, when you when all you do is look at the number of physical qubits, you leave out basically what you can go do with those physical qubits. It's it's like thinking about the um, size, the physical size of an engine, not understanding well what are you going to use it for? You know, is it is it speed? Is it distance? Is it longevity? What are you planning on really doing with it? And so what quantum volume does is it takes into account a lot of different parts of a quantum computer and says both how many qubits do you have, but also how connected are those qubits? Can I use every single qubit with every other qubit? And what is your accuracy? It's it's something within quantum computing called what's your error rate? Uh, okay. And when you combine all of those three together, you get this number called quantum volume and quantum, quantum volume, volume. Okay. How many effective qubits do you have? You may have 50 or more physical qubits, but how many effective qubits do you have once everything is, is kind of combined together mm -hmm. and where Honeywell's uh, both our strategy and our, execution of our of our quantum computing technology has such an advantage and that's because we went for the highest quality qubits first uh, we also took on the challenge of making sure that each of those qubits could i'll say talk to every other qubit mm -hmm. uh, and doing those two things together means that each right now each qubit that we bring into our system becomes an effective qubit. And so we're able to, again, expand that quantum volume very quickly. It's, it's like thinking about building an auditorium where you've built the auditorium, you've built all of the infrastructure around it, all the lights and the HVAC and the security, you've built the entire auditorium and you've just started by putting in a few seats. 
And then over time, you just add into those seats. And, and as you add into those seats, you expand very quickly what that, what that quantum volume is. And what that means more practically is the capability that we can then bring to our customers. Let me ask you about you, Tony. How did you get to be where you are today? First, I am just absolutely uh, consider myself to be one of the most fortunate people to be in this spot and, and be leading a team of some of the most exceptional people on the planet to, to be driving what we're driving. Um, I, I started my career at, at NASA. I worked for the, oh, wow. worked for NASA at the Johnson Space Center. Um, and in fact, the, the area that I was responsible for was where astronauts get trained on how to do spacewalks. That was, uh, oh, that was where oh that's so cool. Wow. So for, uh, for a decade, I worked for NASA and then uh, left to go into strategy consulting. So I became a uh, strategy consultant at the Boston Consulting Group and mm -hmm. uh, was in a number of different offices over a fairly long career there. And then uh, came into Honeywell uh, in 2010. And when I came into Honeywell, I was the head of global marketing and strategy for uh, the $18 billion automation and control solutions business that existed at that time. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a fabulous place to see what Honeywell has in terms of its capabilities, its people, yeah. um, its breadth of reach and domain expertise around the world. And it just so happened that I also had a little team <laughs> that uh, was developing a lot of these underlying technologies and had a couple of brilliant scientists come uh, come forward and say, hey, Tony, do you know what we could build if we put all these things together? Mm -hmm. so that really was the, the genesis of, of thinking about quantum computing in Honeywell. And after very thoughtful, careful seed planting for a decade has put us, put us here, where um, I really... Not only do I consider myself lucky to be in this in this position, but I get to be a spokesperson for, you know, 120 to 130 of the most talented, uh, both technical and functional professionals in the world to be able to to go and and bring quantum computing uh, available commercially to the market. Uh, for those who are longtime listeners of my interviews. I end with the same three questions that I ask uh, all of my uh, guests. So you're going to have to put up with this, uh, Tony. Um, Happy to do it. Number one, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be an astronaut. So from when I was seven years old, mm -hmm. uh, way through about the first eight years <laughs> of my working <laughs> at the Johnson Center, <laughs> I wanted to be an astronaut. All right. Second, Tony, name a technology you could not live without. Boy, I would absolutely have to say the internet. I just, mm -hmm. I think the, the ability to go and tap into data that exists around the world uh, has fundamentally reshaped how we interact as human beings, uh, how we do business. Um, and how we're going to continue to evolve. And All right. And then this is, this is my personal favorite because it's always telling of people. If 
you were to look in your inbox right now, your email inbox, how many unopened emails would I find, Tony? Zero. Get out of here. I mean, maybe over the course of this conversation, I've let a few go. But no, I am a everything that comes into my inbox. I I learned actually was I was taught by uh, by a mentor a long time ago. Do something with every single one and do it quickly. Well, Tony, this was a real pleasure. I, I learned a lot about quantum computing, and and I gotta say I'm even more excited than I was a half an hour ago. Absolute pleasure. Happy to do it. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Future Is. If you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review where you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to go behind the scenes of future technology. 